Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Merry Christmas from everyone at the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I hope Santa is good to you all today and you're able to have a cracker with friends or family. Or both. I'm just kicking off this episode by letting you all know what we're going to be doing over the festive period. I probably should have done this before now, but I didn't really decide in my own head exactly how this would work until, well, last night really. So, well, that's how I usually roll, isn't it? It's, there's, not, there's not much in the way of organisation, but I'm sure you've forgiven me for that by now. So basically, I checked it with the group. And everyone liked to have the festive season off as opposed to either moaning about the lack of entertainment in the top flight or spending hours researching about lower league clubs. However, there will still be podcasts coming out in the next two weeks on both this feed and on our Patreon. It'll either be evergreen stuff with previously recorded or end of year content, but there will be enough to distract you if you find yourself at a loose end at all for entertainment over the next few days. Anyway, if you did choose to get stuck into this content, I hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back to a regular schedule shortly into the new year. Thanks very much for your ongoing support. We really hope you enjoy the last few days of 2023. Cheers. Welcome to the Terrace Podcast. I am Craig Cairns and I am joined by two lovely gentlemen to do a wee featured episode we're going to do for this main show. I have, first of all, Craig Anderson. How are you, Craig? I'm good, Craig. How are you? I'm all right. I'm getting used to realising that there's a, a camera on me here recording my every move and could get used and clipped on social media. I'm not sure how I feel about it. We were just saying before beforehand that we're both sitting here with blankets on, and it's like... I know you've given it away. I've given it away. I've given it away. <laughs> like old men. I'm in my house. Yeah. I don't have an excuse. I, I should probably have my heating on higher, whereas you, you've at least got an excuse that you're, you're in a workplace. It's an expensive and expensive thing to do these days. Exactly, exactly. And Sean, he's with us as well. How's, how warm is your house? So I've been off today, and I must admit, I've had the heating on for the bulk of today. Like, there's a weird thing about me where I would rather wear shorts and have the heating on and pay money for it than, than wear, like, than wear layers. Mm. Uh, but I, I, do, I do suffer for that when it comes to paying my bill time. But no, my, my flat's quite warm at this moment of time. But ultimately, I can't afford it. <laughs> so, so who's the real winner here? <laughs> Seems like there's an obvious solution there, Sean. I'll leave you, is, I'll leave you is, to work that just, out. Just wear, uh, just wear jammy bottoms or something. But no, no, yeah, I'll wear exactly. shorts and put the heating on. What an idiot. Was there anything that warmed you up about researching? I should introduce what we're doing. We're going to be looking at the 1999-2000 season. We'll get into the sort of 
details of it uh, in a bit, but was there anything that warmed you up when you were researching this earlier, Sean? I, so it's one of those ones where it's like, right, so look into 99, 2000, I'm like, right, well, that's, that was a long time ago. I don't even know if the season has been documented on uh, on the internet. So I was, I was a bit worried about what we we're going to talk about or how much stuff was available online. But actually, I've had quite a good laugh. Like there was, so there's loads of stuff happening. There was a load of stuff happening. There's, there's stuff that we we can't talk about because there's virtually nothing about it online. But ultimately, it, it, it felt like it was quite a quite a uh, quite a good season. Yeah, like there was. Like Scotland stuff and and lower league stuff and stuff going on in the the kind of top tier. So yes, I've I've quite enjoyed uh, reading up on it. There's, there's a lot of nonsense certainly. Yeah, yeah, and quite a lot of that nonsense was uh, well documented, as you say. There's not a ton of stuff well documented, but there some of the more interesting things that were there. Did you find that as well, Craig? It's something I find uh, that little era um, doing doing my researching as I do for kind of stats and all the rest of it. That little era is a bit of a black spot in Scottish football. I would say anything from about 2004, 5, 6 onwards is up to date on the internet in the sense that websites that were around then are still around now and are still up to date with stats, videos, whatever, reports. A lot of stuff from the kind of mid to late 90s is there because people started researching. And then there seems to be this wee gap from kind of late, like 1998, 99 to kind of early 2000s where it's as if it didn't exist. It's a bit like the kind of football equivalent of the dark ages, where you can start having these, cons- if we didn't live through it, you'd have these conspiracy theories as to whether they, they actually happened or not. <laughs> so we do have we do have that aspect, but there was enough information on some of the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, and I think this is a great idea. I think, I think we're... Um, we're launching this as a new series with a main show, and I think the point will be that it will become a Patreon series. Is my understanding, and with that, so in you mind, doing my work for me there, Greg? I think it's a good it's a good one to start on. Yeah, I just I just admit, I, I, to to remind the listeners of that because no um, thanks and reminding me. Yes, thanks. I appreciate it. Cool. Well, what we do, I'll I'll just like run through some of the sort of vital statistics from that time to rejog a few people's memories, a few of the listeners' memories. So it was a league before. The league reconstruction and the Scottish Premiership became the Scottish Premiership in, in no way. Did it become the Scottish Premiership in 2013? Yes. God, all so many name changes. So, so, so that, this this reconstruction, yeah. So they when the SPL formed as a breakaway, one of the conditions was that they said they were, they were ten teams originally, and they one of the kind of they had to get an agreement for the SFA, and one of the things they said is we'll expand to twelve teams within two years. So this was um, expanding to 12 teams, basically, which is also what brought, not in this season, the future season, the advent of the split. So that was kind of why it expanded, but it was still the SPL. It just went from 10 to 12. Aye, that was a brain fart from me. The other rebranding to the, to the Premiership was, uh, was 2013. So yeah, Rangers, Rangers won the league pretty comfortably. Um, Celtic were second, Hearts were third. Aberdeen finished bottom. We'll go into more detail about that later, but they didn't get relegated. St Mirren and Dunfermline were the teams that come up. Dun, uh, St Mirren as champions. Down That was then known as the, the, the second tier was known as the first division then. The second division was won by Clyde. They beat Aloha to the title by a point. And the third division was won by Queen's Park. Albion Rovers were the... The bottom team in the, I was going to call it the SPFL. This is going to be like a a weird sort of uh, mental challenge to like go between all the different brands and titles and all that kind of stuff. Across the four Scottish divisions, Albion Rovers finished finished the bottom of the lot. We had two cup finals involving Aberdeen. They finished bottom of the league and made it to two cup finals, losing both. One Celtic, one Rangers, and. Aye, so that's kind of like an overview of how the how the leagues went. Do you guys want to chuck in what your main memories of of the of that season, or fill in some of the gaps that I've provided there? Probably should have said somebody. Craig, you go. We, we could talk about our, our own teams and our experience of our own teams, which aren't maybe going to be featured any in any more detail. This was not the best season for Kilmarnock. He said Aberdeen finished bottom of the league. We finished uh, just ahead of them. 
this was in the midst of quite a good era for the club. So um, we'd won the Scottish Cup a couple of years previously, were regulars in Europe, but and, and had finished, I think, fourth the season before, and I think finished fourth or fifth the season after as well. But this one was a bit of a, a slump, though we did have an, uh, a nice foray into Europe. Um, I've, I've made a wee note to talk about everyone's performances in Europe later on, so I'll, I'll leave that as a as something to, to kind of round off with at the end. But we did get um, we did get a bit of a glamour tie against Kaiserslautern in this season, and, and that kind of relationship between the two clubs has kind of endured uh, since then. So there is um, it, it was a it was a notable season in that respect, but not a particularly good one on the pitch for Kelly. I'll just continue that theme then, Sean. What do you remember of it from a sort of Wraith Rovers perspective? The only thing that is even remotely notable. Uh, was to, to so basically like Wraith had been on the slide for a, for a few seasons since he came back down from the the top tier in whatever it was ninety six ninety seven. Uh, so this is very much a kind of mid table finish in the the first division. And the only thing that is worth noting is that up until about whatever it is two months ago, this season contained the last time we'd beat Inverness Caledonia Thistle. So that, that's like <laughs> the only thing that, that's worth noting about this uh, campaign. That's pretty good. I was, uh, well, we both would have been there for that hoodoo finally being yeah. ended when Jamie Gullen slammed the ball yeah. in the last few minutes. And then a mum, yeah. and mum fell. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope she's recovered. I hope she's recovered. Because she, she seemed fine. She, she seemed fine. He, he, was, he was interviewed in a Q&A on the, like, Grover's Instagram. And he was asked, is your mum okay? He went, yes, nah, she's absolutely fine. So that's, that's good to hear. Maybe she could teach him a thing or two about getting over bumps and bruises. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty poor. He's had a horrendous time with injury. I'm sorry, Jamie. Okay, so let's move on to... We've all been tasked with bringing one thing each to the table here from the season that we're going to kind of look at and discuss in more depth. So let's let's start with you, Craig. What, what have you brought? Uh, so... Four words, uh, or no, more than four words, I can't count, but a, a, a newspaper headline that, that kind of sent shockwaves around the world, I think. Um, you, you pointed out it was from The Sun. I don't want to endorse The Sun, but it was uh, Super Cali, Go Ballistic, Celtic are atrocious. 8th of February 2000, Celtic won Inverness, Caledonian, Thistle 3 in the Scottish Cup. Definitely a seismic result in terms of I think it was it was pretty much what brought Inverness Caledonian Thistle into the kind of psyche of Scottish football. I think they'd obviously been in the league or, or existed as a club for um, a few years at that point, but had been kind of obviously kicking about the lower leagues, had been gradually making their way up. And this 99-2000 season was their first campaign in the first division. Uh, they went on to finish sixth that season in the first division. But... The, the highlight for them was this uh, this trip to Celtic Park, uh, a delayed trip to Celtic Park where they eventually knocked out Celtic um, and also ended the, the managerial reign of, a very brief managerial reign of John Barnes. Yeah, that was the, definitely, when you mentioned this, that was kind of the thing that I found most interesting, Reavers. And I, I know this one game is all about Inverness and that result did kind of... That defined them for quite a number of years, I feel, that that result. And but but looking back on this, it was a really interesting season for Celtic. They kind of had that managerial it was sort of I was gonna say experiment, and I don't really mean that about John Barnes, but I just mean like the sort of setup with him and Kenny Dalgleish, and then they not like draw their first game four all with Aberdeen or something like that. And yeah, there was just a lot of really a lot of players that were signed that were maybe written off as duds that went on to be very good players for Celtic and in amongst there, a few guys that never really came on. But yeah, I thought that was a... Looking back, I, th- I thought it was a really interesting time in, in Celtic's history. What are your memories of this sort of time for Inverness or Celtic, Sean? Uh, so I, in, in terms of Inverness, so the weird thing was like they weren't, like they weren't a good first division team. Like they, they finished mid table, they under Stevie Patterson, like going forward. Like they had so much quality going forward. But defensively they were they were dreadful. I mean they, they conceded about fifty five goals that season, which which hampered them because they could score goals for fun. But the weird thing is watching the highlights back, as much as they 
because I'd kind of read a bit about the game before I'd watched the highlights back again and like the, the stuff was suggesting that Inverness were the better team on the night. Like maybe they were, like to try and gauge how a game goes on six minutes worth of highlights is always slightly tricky. But certainly based on what I've seen, like Celtic had, had chances, but it kind of looked like Inverness defended very well, but they didn't really do that over the course of the season. Uh, but I, like, I, I wasn't surprised that they caused... Celtic issues because going forward they, they had so much quality. I was I was trying to remember how I how I found out about the result, and I'm always conscious of the fact that I sound like like I know I'm always well I am like the old man of the podcast, <laughs> but like see now like if this was happening at Parkhead if if Celtic were one nil down, two one down, three one down at Celtic Park to a first division team, you would find out on WhatsApp you would you would see it on on Twitter or whatever like you would not it wouldn't mm-hmm. be a shock, but I remember at the time, I'd, it was a midweek night, wasn't ah, it? It was a midweek game. It was maybe a Tuesday or a Wednesday or whatever, and I, I think I've been, I hadn't been out. I could just been watching a film, and then I, I put Sky Sports News on, and it was there was that kind of yellow banner. Inverness Caledonia official knock Celtic to get the Scottish Cup. I remember like I made like a weird noise, it was like in a high pitch. What? <laughs> but I suppose, like you wouldn't like the same thing wouldn't happen now because you just wouldn't have yeah. this, or almost certainly wouldn't happen now. Like you would have an inkling of what was going on at Celtic Park, and you would be getting updates. But I, I mean, I, I suppose ultimately it was Inverness kind of built in there, and, and then became a, a, a Premiership side. And I, as much as it was a kind of painful ninety minutes for Celtic, by the summer Martin O'Neill was involved, so maybe ultimately it had done them some good. But I doubt they thought that at the time. I think the the thing what you say with that Inverness team is like at the time they, they may not have been up to much in the first division, but you look through it and yeah. uh, several, in fact, the majority of that team would go on and play with them for, for quite a few years in the top flight because you had Stuart Golabek, who never amazing, but did play for them for, for a while longer. Bobby Mann was there. Uh, Richard Hastings was there. Paul Sheeran. We had a, had a pretty good career at other clubs as well. Ross Tokley was in the team. I was about team. to say Tokley, but I couldn't remember if Tokley was part of, like a stalwart of that team or whether he came through as a youngster in that team and then became a sort of, a, a sort of stalwart. He, he was playing that game. Uh, Barry Wilson played in that game. Barry uh, Wilson, yeah. Den- he was a Dennis, player. Dennis Wynes as well. Uh, the other other players, uh, Char- Charlie Christie, so obviously went on to manage them, Ryan's dad, and... Uh, the interesting one was our goalkeeper, Jim Calder, who was 39 years old and 15 years earlier, yep, 1985, he had played for Inverness Caledonian against Celtic at Celtic Park when they'd get beaten 6-0, but he played for them as a centre forward. So he used to be a striker and then he got a career-ending injury and became a goalkeeper and would end up playing for Inverness in goals. So That's a great he, story. Yeah. I, I finally only became a, a goalkeeper at age 26. Yeah, so only only once he's um yeah, basically his career was ended as a forward. So he'd come <laughs> on as a sub in a six nil defeat as a striker and then would be the goalkeeper that um helped help him to win. And he did pull off a couple of saves for a thirty nine year old. Not not too bad. A, a few other things on Inverness, so that, that you you said the game was, was midweek. That was because the originally scheduled Saturday match, which had been ten days earlier, um an hour before kickoff, so Inverness had already made their way there. The fans would presume they already made their way there. It was called off because there were strong winds and a bit of the roof of Celtic Park was like loose and blown about. So it was called off for safety reasons. And despite that, when it was rescheduled uh, 10 days later for midweek, there were 4,000 Inverness fans down at the game, which is ludicrous to think of now. But I suppose it's that kind of like Inverness play at Celtic Park. I mean, not not recently, but they, they, they become pretty regular playing against teams like that. So it wasn't such a big thing at the time. But um yeah, 4,000 turned up for it. And apparently the Celtic directors paid for several crates of beer for the Inverness team to take up the road, which I find quite surprising. That, that backfired. <clears throat> no, 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 no. I was trying to like get them no, steaming. No, after, like, no, after the win. After to the, the win. hangover. <laughs> oh, it was after the win, <laughs> right, the sorry. Win. I thought you were so talking that, about after they had driven down all that way for no game. Um, Send so, them back up the road, pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but um, I mean, some of these were some of the, the parts of that were coming from a, a nice nutmeg article um, on the game. But um, there was a few, a few other kind of notable things. Obviously, so Mark Viduka was one of the kind of key key people of this year. He won Player of the Year, I think, in the Premiership or the the top flight Player of the Year for the season. Mark Viduka was in the midst of a ten game scoring streak in the top flight. 
actually scored in 10 consecutive league games in amongst that, something that was only recently usurped by by Kevin Van Veen. Um, but that was that was kind of a, a record as such. Uh, not not an all-time record, but certainly kind of modern era record for, for quite a while. But Viduka maybe didn't have the best of nights against Inverness in that at half-time. So I should say that the Celtic team... Um, Jonathan Gould, Tom Boyd, Oliver Tebley, Stefan Mahi, Vidar Recef, Colin Healy. I had to Google him. I had to Google him. Couldn't remember who he was. Lubo Moravchik, Ayo Berkovic, Mark Viduka and Mark Burchill. Um, so Henrik Larson had broken his leg out in Leon. Um, quite a kind of famous that was also during this season. At halftime, uh, Celtic were 2-1 down. So uh, Barry Wilson had given Inverness the lead, but Celtic had in- equalised almost instantly with Mark Burchill. But then... A Maravchik on goal had, had sent Inverness in 2-1 up. At halftime, and, and I think Bobby Mann said this in an interview at one point, the, the Celtic, it didn't seem right with the Celtic team all night, but at halftime, they were apparently just tearing strips off each other in the dressing room. And uh, Eric Black tried to kind of G up Viduka by asking if he didn't fancy it or whatever, if he tried to get a reaction of him. And <laughs> apparently what Viduka said is, uh, fuck this bollocks and threw his boots in the bin and just stormed off and had to be replaced at halftime by Ian Wright. Just another name that just appears like... I. Well, this kind of leads on nicely to the... I kind of mentioned it earlier when we were talking in the group chat about it, but I found the Scottish Premiership top scorer list for that season... Very interesting. Uh, Mark Viduka, who you're talking about, goes on to win player of the year. He scores 25. Billy Dodds scores 19 across spells for Dundee United and Rangers. Jorg Alberts, 17 for Rangers. Rod Wallace, 16 for Rangers. Gary McSwagan, 13 for Hearts. Willie Faulkner in the twilight of his career, 12 for Dundee. Mark Birchall got 11 for Celtic. Kenny Miller, a young Kenny Miller, got 11 for Hibs. John Spencer, another veteran, got 11 for Motherwell. And then it goes on to like Nathan Lowndes, Michael Moles, Tommy Johnson. A really sort of, a real mixed list there. Like some, some like fading legends and like players at the top of their game. And then some like guys like fucking uh, Nathan Lowndes in there. I love it when those eras overlap like that. But um, but yeah, that, that that was obviously, it wasn't all right for Celtic during that game. And Jonathan Gould said uh, we needed leadership and John didn't provide it. He was in a situation he didn't have the experience to handle. So Jonathan Gould, the man who conceded three goals during this game, was, was pointing the finger at the manager, certainly. But they came out in the second half and ended up. But it was a penalty um, and Paul Sheeran scored it and Inverness won the game. I think the only other... Things to note, I guess, uh, John Barnes ended up being sacked a couple of days after this. Uh, Olivier Tebley had a bit of an interesting time of it over those few days because he had been away with Ivory Coast in the African Nations Cup. They got knocked out of the group stage and what was a pretty tough group, they had Ghana, Cameroon and Togo in their group. All four teams finished on four points but they lost out on goal difference but when they flew back into the Ivory Coast, they were detained at a military camp for three days by the new president who basically thought they were They'd let the country down um, and FIFA and, and, and et cetera had to negotiate their release. And this was his first game back. So very much kind of out, out of the out of the uh, frying pan and into the fire or whatever the saying is. But it was it was obviously kind of one of those seminal results, I would say. It was kind of, it did, it did send shockwaves, I think, beyond even Scottish football at that point because I don't think, I think I'm right in saying it was the first time Celtic had ever lost um, a cup tie at home to to lower league opposition, um, and and it's certainly not happened that many times since. So it was it was pretty big in that respect. Inverness would go on to be knocked out in the next round. They played Aberdeen in the next round, and they were actually leading with ten minutes to go at home. Got pegged back to one each, and then lost narrowly in the replay. But within a couple of years, they they would go on to to be promoted to the top flight, and obviously have since gone on and won the Scottish Cup. So. It was very much a, a moment where they announced themselves onto the scene. I did like, uh, I, I did like, I, I noticed like Ian Wright came on for Viduka at half time. And I was like, well, let's, let's have a wee look at this because Celtic went through a, a, a real stage where they would bring up players from the English league that had had a, a lot of brilliant careers down south, then bring them back up north or bring them north, sorry, towards the end of their career. And Roy Keane, played in the defeat at Clyde. Ian Wright came on at half-time in a defeat against Inverness. Robbie Keane 
came north and played in the semi-final defeat at Ross County. And then the, the one I was trying like I was trying to get right, can we do a, a kind of quadruple here like Craig Bellamy? So Craig Bellamy won the Scottish Cup as far as I'm aware. However, Craig Bellamy also played in the game where Celtic lost in the last day of the season to Motherwell 2-1 and Rangers won the league. So what I would suggest is, if I was a Celtic fan or a, <laughs> on the Celtic board, don't bring up players that have had really good careers in England uh, when they're coming to the end of a career to, to come up and to North to play to sign for Celtic. It doesn't seem to go well. Slightly related, I think, is, and I'm going off memory here, so I'm, pro- I'm bound to get something wrong, but a different season, much later, Carlton Cole, did he not score his only Celtic goal in a very sort of turgid performance against like East Kilbride in the Cup or something like that? Is that I right? Think, I think that's right. They, they definitely played East Kilbride around And it was time. a terrible goal. They had, they had him and Colin Kazim Richards around the same time. <laughs> I was thinking Freddie Lundberg didn't even make enough of an impression to even have a <laughs> Juninho. Yeah, but yes, I think I think your I think your thesis is probably quite quite appropriate there, Sean. I think it might be worth considering. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing. The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply okay i think we've i think we've uh Gone into that in a fair bit of detail. What about we'll stick with you, Sean? What 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 have you brought with us? I, I went with a situation that I have like I, I don't recall before. Maybe it's ha- maybe it has happened. Maybe it's happened since. But basically, Hamilton Aki's went on strike. Like that feels like very unusual, and I I do think that the punishment that that was that was kind of meted out. I'm not entirely sure that it was it was justified. However, maybe maybe you disagree. I'm not entirely sure. But basically, Hamilton. We're in the second division at the time, so the third tier. Now it's interesting that the like right from the word go, so in July of nineteen ninety nine, the the wages arrived late and the the Hamilton chairman was Jim Sherry and he said that the the like the quote was there was a hiccup, it was a temporary shortage of funds, uh, because we needed to move money from one account to another and we required a signature. So that like right away at the start of that season, it felt like something wasn't quite right, and there was there was money issues right the the way through that season. And then what happened was on the the first of April, with Hamilton safe in mid table, I think they were sitting fifth at the time. Their players had had enough, so bounces have been uh, sorry checks have been bouncing. I, th- I think five times out of six they hadn't been paid properly, and they'd suggested that they might go on strike if things didn't happen. Things didn't go correctly at the end of March. That didn't happen. So they failed to turn up for a game at Oakleview against Stenish Muir. So initially, uh, a spokesperson for the, the SFL had said that they'd probably be fined and there'd be a three points deduction. What actually happened was that there was a 15 points deduction. So rather than being uh, mid table, that put them behind Queen of South. There was only one team getting relegated at. Uh, uh, that season because of league reconstruction. Now they still had a few games to to save themselves. They still had seven games to go. Queen of South went in good form. Actually, Hamilton were in good form uh, going into that points deduction. However, I think they only won two of the of the next seven games. Lost maybe three and and drew the rest. Queen of South done just enough to to sustain that gap and uh, Hamilton got relegated. But ultimately, like you kind of look at the comments from board members at that time and some of the other excuses for why payments bounced over the course of the season that's 
It doesn't look well in Hamilton. I, I do think at the same time, from a, the authorities' perspective, it felt like they were kind of punishing the wrong people. Like, surely, it, it, like when you look at that as, whether it was the, the Scottish Football League or, or the SFA, you think, right, well, let, let's try and make sure that, that players aren't put in this position where they're not getting paid what they should be getting paid. But it kind of felt like they punished the club rather than do anything to protect players in a similar scenario going forward. So, ah, it was... I'm not sure anybody comes out of it very well. But there's there's a very, very interesting reason why the, the wages weren't paid, I think, in March, uh, which is very unusual. But I, I must admit, I, I did like that. But overall, uh, a kind of shoddy period for, for Hamilton. And I'm not entirely sure they've moved forward in any shape we have formed <laughs> since then. Yeah, as a precursor. What was the what was the, <laughs> the, the strange reason the wages weren't paid? So basically in March, let me get this right now. A strike action was averted in March as part of the wages that were due arrived late, but a promise to pay the palance uh, a promise to pay the palance well, was made. Controlling shareholder Jim Watson said the delay was due to a legal wrangle with former chairman George Whitelaw, who sought payment for the storage of Douglas Park's floodlights at a rate of £1 per metre per week. So, okay. so so basically somebody was storing Douglas Park's floodlights, but he was charging them £1 per metre per week. That, that sounds like a very unusual rate of... It's an unusual rate. So yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, I've, so those, presumably the floodlights are really long. I've never been involved <laughs> in floodlight storage, but I've certainly <laughs> never heard of anything being charged by length. How can you do it by metre? How can you do it by metre? It's an area. Areas aren't measured in metres, they're measured in square metres. So what the... F- well, uh, but, but, but... A volume, in well, fact. But you obviously weren't involved in terms of the signing that contract, Craig, but it was one <laughs> Yeah, what well, if you just turn them the other way? It was one pound You could just... <laughs> I'm only one... You could just measure the bottom of them. I'm only paying for this length. <laughs> so that, that froze their assets. So they had to pay him nine and a half grand, so that froze... 35,000 pounds off their assets. So they couldn't get paid that month. I mean, let's face it, nothing was going particularly well. I must admit, I do think that that 15 points deduction, which put them behind Queen of South, that felt a wee bit severe. Like, I almost felt like. an interesting one. Let's. I almost felt like the the punishment was let's just relegate them rather than Mm -hmm. how can we ensure that no players are put in this position again? Where you're further punishing the players potentially because yeah. then like, and the fans re- reduced reduced wage and fans yeah yeah, yeah and reduce, fans. so so that that's where it becomes a sort of interesting one because how do you meet out that punishment with where it's sort of like targeted at the right people I, I don't know I, obviously only speculating but I wonder whether it was like them that was their way of not wanting to be involved in the dispute and they were just punishing the club as a whole for not fulfilling fixtures I don't know. I think I think there's a difference because you, you hear people say that like oh you know you shouldn't punish the players or the fans when the club have like almost cheated to gain an advantage so they've been overplaying players and they've gone into administration or whatever it may be but in a number of cases and this would be one of them that that isn't really what happened so I think there is a difference to draw on it and it does I do agree with you it seemed it, it, it wasn't like yeah it wasn't like Hamilton Aki's were were gaining any advantage by that situation beyond they were just being run by um, absolute well people who maybe didn't have the club's best interest in heart, something which may have continued over the years, even as they, they gained three promotions in the space of like the, the following eight years, I think. But um, they, they, obviously when you're talking about the storage of the Douglas Park floodlights, they were playing at Fur Hill at that point because they'd sold Douglas Park off, uh, which I think is where the Sainsbury's is now, like next to New Douglas Park, I think that's correct, but hadn't yet been building what is now New Douglas Park. So they had spent some time, I think, at Clifton Hill and then were at Fur Hill as well. And it'd be another two years, I think, or a year or two before New Douglas Park opened. But they, I, it felt very odd. And I think it's one of the biggest, I think it is the biggest point deduction that's ever been dished out. Maybe, oh, sorry, Dundee had 25 after that, but I think it's the second biggest in the history. So it was certainly severe, but I guess it's rare for a team not to turn up for a game as well. Yeah, so I was going to ask if there's been any situations like this since, and obviously there's been situations with players not getting paid and delayed payments and things like that. But yeah, you're right. Other than a few cases, I think Ryan Stevenson, did he not maybe leave Hearts when he wasn't getting paid, but they fulfilled all their fixtures despite the 
the wage issues uh, 2011-12 season. But yeah, has there been any other? Does anybody know of any other cases? The, the only, the closest thing I can think of is the referees going on strike, but that's obviously quite different. And, and just to, I guess, a wee addendum, they, they would go on to win the third division the following season on goal difference from Cowden Beef and ended up, um, I think I think that was a very narrow finish to the season. I think maybe the top three were all in the battle right up to the to the end of it, but they ended up winning that. And obviously, on the pitch at least, kind of, it was probably a, a catalyst for a very positive spell for Hamilton Ackies, where they obviously went they Spent the, the best part of a decade, kind of, or more, actually. And maybe lucky to do that um, again. So it, it had it may it may have it may have kind of been one of these siege mentalities, but certainly I'm sure it didn't feel like that at the time. I did enjoy uh, the Spanish Muir chairman who said uh, Terry Bullock, who said that they, they should just be relegated, like immediately after the game. Spanish Muir were involved in a relegation tussle at the time, so I did wonder if that uh, may have inf- inf- influenced his position. Okay, shall we move into what I've brought, kind of alluded to earlier when I mentioned that Aberdeen had finished bottom of the, the Premiership and not been relegated. I'm going to talk about just Aberdeen season. So we're going, to, we're going to leave it open, as open as that Aberdeen season, because to be honest, when I looked at it all, it was just so batshit crazy that I, I couldn't pick one aspect of it. So we'll give an overview and then we'll see where we, where we want to dive into. So in a nutshell, finished bottom of the league, there was supposed to be a three-way playoff between them and the top two teams in the second tier, which, uh, no, sorry. Top of the second tier was being promoted and then the next two were going to be in a three-way playoff with the bottom of the, the Scottish Premier League. So um, St Mirren came up as champions and then Dunfermline and Falkirk were the teams in second and third. Falkirk, as has kind of become quite an infamous tale in Scottish football, they did not have their their stadium did not meet the kind of harsh requirements that were being enforced at that time. Ten thousand all seater, and in fact, let's just do a wee sort of detour here, Sean, because you, you're probably well placed to speak about this. But that rule in general, I mean, it stopped Falkirk from being promoted. But there's other teams that, at great expense, got their stadium up to that, and I, th- I suppose Wraith's quite a good example where they invested the money and then it kind of hamstrung them for a bit, for a while yeah, after that. I, I totally, so, so Wraith managed to get the seats in place eventually, I think it was the, I'm saying what season it was, 95, 96 maybe. Uh, they started the, the season off, they, they'd asked for away games so they could finish their stadium basically. Uh, they, thankfully we were given away games at, at Celtic Park and Ibrox. Uh, so by the time, so by the time we go back to Starts Park when everything was finished, we're already bottom of the league because we conceded about eleven goals, uh, and it never really got any better. But ah, you're right. It's like there was a weird thing where you had to have all these seats to come into the the the, the top tier. I, I don't know if anybody anybody wanted it. Certainly nobody needed it. Uh, and and the, the weird thing about Falkirk was they they couldn't leave the first division for a variety of reasons. So this season, they, they couldn't leave it because their stadium wasn't very good. But then two seasons later, like they were dreadful. Like still in the first division, dreadful. Should have got relegated, finished ninth. But they couldn't get relegated because I think Airdrie had went bust from the division below. So you had this weird you had this weird spell where Falkirk couldn't get promoted, couldn't get relegated no matter what they did, no matter how good they were, no matter how bad they were. They just had to spend their entirety in the first division. It's kind of like now we leak. Like one, isn't it? If only they would try and get relegated, that would be class. Yeah. But um, I should, I've not mentioned actually who Aberdeen were being managed by at this point, and that's Ebby Skovdal. And he, I mean, we could probably do an entire podcast on that man and uh, his guidance of, of Aberdeen this season. But he, if you've ever heard the, the stats and miniskirts quote, then that, that, that was a, uh, that that was his. And like I say, they, they finished bottom of the league, but they still managed to make it to two two cup finals. And even even one of those was really bizarre. So they were coming up against Rangers in the Scottish Cup final and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head now, but I think it was three subs you're allowed to be named and there was no 
rule about whether you had to name a goalkeeper or not. And Skovdal decided to go with an extra outfield player. And that backfired because within five or six minutes or something like that, Jim Leighton is taken off after lengthy treatment and they have to stick Robbie Winters in goals. Now, they were probably up against it already, but playing an entire Scottish Cup final with a striker in goals, they, they, they never really stood a chance, did they? It was also the fact you've 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 then got Robbie Winters, who's like um, he he was young at the time, but obviously quite a promising. I don't know if he wasn't that young; he was in his his mid twenties, but quite a promising striker. You've also got like used one of your substitute strikers, who you maybe thought you could bring on to change the game, is now uh, in goals for you. But yeah, I think it wasn't uncommon at the time not to have a sub goalkeeper on the bench. Rangers didn't for this Rangers game either. Be. Yeah, because it's like a one in five hundred yeah, event yeah, or something like happen. that. It's yeah, it, maybe even maybe even that's being generous. It's probably like uh, much less than that. But but there was Jim Leighton. It was he was forty one by that point, 40, nearly forty two. So that was the last game of his career. So very ignominious ignominious end to his career. And it's really sad to say, but it kind of sums up his career in a way, doesn't it? Because Aye. it's like like getting to a Scottish yep. Cup final. It's like obviously like that's a good thing, but then it's like backfire. And Jim Leighton, I feel like was a was a person in Scottish football that good things constantly happened to him, but then it was it was constantly taken away from him by like yeah. uh, horrible things happening. I it's weird because like bear in mind that Jim Leighton had what ninety one caps for Scotland. Played for Man United, won umpteen trophies for Aberdeen, and I kind of feel sorry for him. Like, but, but bear in mind, like, like my career is stand alive. <laughs> my, my career is stand alive in Tesco, so surely, surely Jim Lane should feel sorry for me. But, but looking at his, looking at his career, like overall, like the the things that, for whatever reason, rightly or wrongly, the things that I remember is like playing in that FA Cup final down south, and then nobody able to play in the replay. His last game for Aberdeen, getting kicked in the jaw by was a Rod Wallace. It, was it was it a, a broken jaw maybe uh, that that kind of ended that game for him. Even even Euro '96, like they, they basically played all the qualifiers for us. But then Andy Gorham played in the the, the kind of Euro '96 tournament. So there's always something that I feel very very sorry for him. And even like when I was, I was looking at that, so after this game. He was scheduled to have a, a testimonial for Aberdeen. So I think his very first performance was against Middlesbrough, maybe in a friendly for Aberdeen. So they played them again for his final ever performance. But he couldn't play in it because he's still recovering for that injury in the Scottish Cup final. I was just like, oh, oh, poor Jim. And it, like that's that's how I've always kind of regarded Jim Leighton. It just I always feel very, very sorry for him, rightly or wrongly. But I that's a, a terrible way to end your career. To, to bring it full circle as well, Robbie Winters uh, wore, had to wear Ryan Essen's uh, shirt because Ryan Essen was the, the sub-goalkeeper and had travelled and everything onto the pitch. And, and then 15 years later, Ryan Essen won the Scottish Cup playing for Inverness to, to tie it in nicely to my story as well. He, he was the starting goalkeeper for Inverness when they won the Cup. So mm, his, jersey, uh, his jersey didn't didn't do so well in that final, but he himself <laughs> would... Uh, would would have some some vengeance, I guess. Fifteen years on, <laughs> I was going to say it looked very big on him, but um, looking at the style around that time, it was, was a, big. It, was a, it was a very baggy era. It was definitely a very baggy era. And we've not really touched on their um, their league form, which it wasn't was good. no, it obviously it obviously wasn't good, but it was it was still a bit bizarre the way it unfolded. They, as I said, they drew their first game. I believe it was a first game four all with Celtic. But then they didn't I win. I, 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 you said that earlier, Craig, and I, uh, but I don't think they did. They lost oh, five now. Yeah. Am I getting mixed up with something else? They drew four each with Celtic, like years, years later. I'm sure. But um, ah, fuck, where am I getting that uh, from then? Uh, but I was like, I was just letting that slide the first time. But I thought, oh, we'll, 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 Jesus we'll, Christ! Uh, and I've, <laughs> lost, and I've lost, just, and I've just repeated it. They lost their first uh, seven games, so they, they didn't score in the first six. They got beat five 0 at Pataudry by Celtic in the opening Jesus day. Jesus Christ, right, okay, okay. And then also then in the, the ninth game of the season, so they finally finally thought their season was turning around because they drew with Hibs in their eighth game, a 2-2 draw with Hibs. And then they, they went to Celtic Park and what would be 7-0. Um, so, so nine games into the season, they had one point um, and had scored 
three goals and conceded quite a lot. And then what happened in game number 10? They beat Motherwell 6-5 to win their first game of the season. And uh, two Scotland, two legendary Scotland goalkeepers were in goals that day. Uh, Jim Layton, as we've already spoken about, and Andy Gorham was in goals for, for Motherwell. Yeah, I, so this, this four-all thing, I remember that being a lot, some reason have in my head that that was like a Barnes era thing. Now, clearly, clearly the facts are telling me something different. So I'm now trying to decide whether I'm putting it down to the COVID that I have or whether it's, is this a Mandela effect? I think, it, I think it is. I think in your reality, um, that's when it happened. So we, we can't argue with you. Ah, yeah. I, I must admit, I did see when I was looking on the, the three-way playoff that was obviously eventually abandoned. I ended up at, on a, an Aberdeen football forum and they were discussing the fact that a Rangers fan, so, so somebody started a thread, an Aberdeen fan started a thread, because a Rangers fan at their work had said that they were very lucky to still be in the Premiership or the top tier uh, and should have been relegated twice. And there was a, a discussion about how that three-way playoff would have went and somebody said... Now, you know something, Aberdeen were very much coming into form, we very much had momentum at the end of the season, there was absolutely no chance we, we would have got relegated. I was like, right, okay, so I'll, I'll have a look at that. So yes, admittedly, they did win the last two games, they beat Dundee and Kilmarnock and Dead Rubbers. They won three out of the last 13 uh, league games. Bear in mind, they would have been up against Dunfermline and Falkirk, I had a look at Dunfermline, they won five of the last six, and Falkirk lost two out of 20, and the only teams that beat them were St. Murren, who won the league, and Hibs in the Scottish Cup. So I, I, I will say, and nobody, I suppose, can, can say I'm wrong, that I think Aberdeen would have got absolutely scudded in that playoff. They, they played Falkirk at Pataudry and drew in with the them. League Cup and drew with them, so yep. they certainly were not, mm-hmm. uh, not streets ahead. I, I mean, it's worth mentioning again that Aberdeen's entire history in the Scottish top flight is um, is entirely based on a sham because they never gained promotion in the first place. So <laughs> if you look back to when Aberdeen were elected to the top flight of Scottish football, they actually finished in the bottom half of the second tier. And, and albeit, uh, albeit this is like over a century ago, but they finished uh, in, I think, seventh place in the uh, Division 2 in the 1904-05 season. And they out of out of twelve teams, and they were elected ahead of five separate teams who finished above them. Uh, so when they say that they've never been relegated from the top flight, which is true, they are certainly there's question marks over. Basically, there's question marks over the validity of all of their league titles. Certainly, I would suggest. <laughs> so, if you were applying that logic, could you not then say that? Anybody who's been voted into the SPFL and not promoted into it would could you say the same thing about them? But well, well, but they didn't. Yeah, anyone who didn't finish um, top of the the league below, I would argue, yes. Okay, so um, like there's a few there's a few teams in the SPFL right now who think they're building up histories, and you're. I'm you just saying. Just, I'm the just whole saying there, a sham. There, there should potentially be asterisks behind quite a <laughs> quite a few. <laughs> just pages. a full fucking. You imagine how many there'd be. The Rangers ones, <laughs> the Celtic ones when Rangers weren't in the league. <laughs> All the Hearts ones for when they financially doped. Not titles, obviously. That that would just be cups. All, all I'm saying is um, they they should they should think twice about the whether their league titles really count for much. <laughs> well, that was a bit of a <laughs> that was an ominous note to to end on. Um, does anybody else want to add uh, anything else from this season? Before we'll we'll, we'll 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 hang about for another wee while. Just like anything else you found interesting about this season. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic. When I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, there was a couple of things for me, and, and I think Sean was maybe going to talk about international. So I'll just talk about kind of performances in Europe. Because there was a couple of quite 
glamour ties that Scottish clubs were involved in. So we'll just run through what all the clubs did in Europe. So Rangers were the, the one representative in the Champions League and they beat Finnish side Hacker very comfortably, 7-1 on aggregate. And then they played in the final qualifying round for the Champions League, uh, Parma. And this was around the time, I think they'd also played Parma the season before and been knocked out of the UEFA Cup. And they played them at Ibrox and won 2-0. Claudio Reina and Tony Vidmar uh, got the goals and then they went out to Italy and they won. They got beat 1-0 but held on to, to go through to the Champions League which was, I, rem- I certainly remember that game. It was quite a, um, quite a, obviously quite a big result for a Scottish team to knock out a Serie A team at that point and certainly one of the better ones. They went into the Champions League group stage with uh, Valencia, Bayern Munich and PSV so pretty tough sounding group. They lost away to Valencia. I think Valencia, yeah, Valencia went on to, in fact, Valencia and Bayern went on to the final, both of them in this season, which gives you a clue as to what happened with Rangers in this group stage. But they, they lost, uh, they lost in Valencia and then they played Bayern and lost a last minute equaliser at home. So they drew one each. They then beat PSV home and away uh, with Rud van Nistelrooy scoring a consolation in a 4-1 win for Rangers. Which meant actually that when they went, they played Valencia at Ibrox, as it turned out, if they'd beaten Valencia at Ibrox, they would have gone through. They lost that game 2 1, which set up a game away to Bayern Munich, where a draw would have actually taken them through at the expense of Bayern, but they, they lost 1 0. That took them down into the UEFA Cup, where they played Borussia Dortmund, who they again beat 2 0 at Ibrox, and yet again conceded a, a last minute equaliser. To, or, they lost 2-0 in Germany with Freddie Bobic scoring in the 92nd minute to take it to extra time. Freddie Bobic's goal was set up by Jens Lehmann, who had come up for a corner. And they went out, They went on to lose on penalties with uh, Giovanni van Bronckhorst uh, being one of the people who missed a penalty. So he maybe instilled that into Aaron Ramsey <laughs> for a few years later. <laughs> and whoever else missed a penalty for Rangers that no one ever remembers. Uh, Celtic beat Cumbran Town 10-0 on aggregate in the UEFA Cup uh, as, I mean anyone would beat a, a Welsh team comfortably clearly uh, and beat Maccabee, so. T- Maccabee Tel Aviv before they lost to Leon, where Henry Larson broke his leg but that, that's the kind of boring to um, St Johnston I remember being in I'm going to try to remember the name of the place is it Lacarno's? it's in Shandon in Edinburgh it's upstairs, it's above the Shandon uh, it was either that or the Shandon Snooker Hall next door. I can't remember. And that game was on on a big projector. And I remember us going up to the projector while they were showing like the slow mo replays and like seeing like I got a proper view of how horrific that leg break looked. Yeah, it was, every, very, it was a very floppy leg. Yeah, so it wasn't really so much about what you could see the leg doing. It was how much the sort of shin pad was being. Yeah pushed up yep. by aye it was that was a horrific injury it's, it's actually kind of incredible that he, he actually came he actually came back during that season he finished, he played a couple of games at the end of the season and went really? and played in the Euros for Sweden so and, and obviously then kind of he'd, he'd been good before it but went on to be, be obviously a quite good player yeah St. Johnston had finished third the season before so they were also in the UEFA Cup and they beat VPS of Finland uh, they, they scored a couple of late goals in Perth to win that game and got the glamour tie of all glamour ties I would argue in European football which is uh, against Monaco um, in terms of an away trip I don't think there are many more glamorous places you could, God, you could really go rings a bell man I didn't look up the European runs but yeah uh, I've got a couple of the ones that you mentioned before rung a bell but that one yeah that does as well so the first leg they went out to, to Monte Carlo and they were actually drawn 0-0 until the 69th minute in that game but ended up losing 3-0 and David Trezeguet was one of the players who scored for St Johnston like obviously four sorry, years for before. Monaco and amongst yeah, well, a, a year before he scored the winning goal in the, um, the Yeah, Euros. I was also going to say four years before Monaco went to the Champions League final yeah, and they had um, so some of the players playing for Monaco, uh, Fabian Barthez was in goal, Rafael Marquez and Ludovic Julie, who both won the Champions League with Barcelona. They had David Trezeguet, they had Marcelo Gallardo, who was a kind of Argentina star at the time, Costinha, who went on to play for Porto against Monaco in the final, I think. They had Willy Sanyol, who obviously had a good career with France. Uh, John Arnorisa, who won the Champions League as well with uh, Liverpool, and they had uh, Dado Purcell as well, who obviously won. Oh, them. yeah. So they then played them at St. Uh, McDermott Park and drew three each. So they, they kind of had 
a pretty good time of it against uh, against Monaco, and the other one was Kelly were in Europe through the fair play scheme. So <laughs> we'd finished fourth the previous season, so it wasn't like we were like we would have been the next in line. It had been quite a battle with Kelly and St Johnston for third place in that season. And Kelly um, squeezed past KR Reykjavik, so we lost in Iceland, and he did a 90th minute goal at home. Paul Wright scored a penalty to get to extra time, where we won. Uh, we won that game. And Kelly ended up playing Jork, Jorkaev FC. They ended up playing Kaiserslautern and Yuri Jorkaev, who was again, had just won the World Cup with France, tore us to bits. And <laughs> so that was a, that was a European season. So as usual, basically all done before Christmas, but um, some some big names kind of. And, and I feel like this was maybe one of the last seasons, more or less, where teams like Kelly and St. Johnston could really get ties like that. I mean, I know St. Johnston played Galatasaray, but that felt like a bit of a, a fluke of the draw rather than something that would be expected to happen all the time. Has the Conference League maybe made it more possible? Potentially. Because potentially. then you could have, it's basically bigger teams having poor seasons, basically. So yeah, you can maybe, maybe opens up more of the chance of it now. Anything else, Sean? Have you got anything else from, from this season? Only probably from an international perspective. So Scotland had, so the qualifiers for Euro 2000, we'd been, so like we were a number one seed. We'd been paired with, paired with, we'd been grouped with the Czechs, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Lithuania, Estonia and the Faroes. And like the Czechs, like you go through that team, that might be one of the best number two seeds of all time. Like just incredible. Like they won all of our games, 30 points. We... We kind of struggled, albeit only only two games lost against the Czechs. However, dropped points in, in Estonia, dropped points in Lithuania, and dropped points in the Faroes, uh, most embarrassingly of all. But we made it to the... The, the playoffs has been one of the, the runners-up. I think Portugal was the best runners-up. We're about four points removed from them. Uh, so we had a, a couple of... They did a couple of better results to, to be the best runners-up. And... As much as we've maybe been in the playoffs since and we've wanted it to be an open draw uh, and it maybe hasn't been, it's, it's been to do with seedings. For Euro 2000, it was an open draw and I, I do think if, if it had been seeded, we would have been fine or certainly better placed, but we end up getting England. And I must admit, I still think that this was a missed opportunity, like a missed opportunity in terms of playing against England in a, a genuinely competitive game and we really had a chance to knock them out. Not because not because I think this Scotland team was better than England. I, I don't think that at all. Like look at England, like Michael Owen, Alan Shearer, Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes Sol Campbell, especially in that first leg. Tony Adams. Like it was still that that was a talented England team. However, they were managed by an idiot. They were managed by <laughs> Kevin Keegan, who was not a football manager. Like I'd, I'd, I've seen him described as a, a cheerleader rather than a manager, and that probably sums him up. Like, and judging by what he said in the last kind of few months, he'd probably be okay with me saying he's not a football manager. But if like uh, Amy Canavan had said he's not a football manager, he'd be really annoyed at that. Uh, so I, 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 I just, I, I, they were held back, I think, by him. But we were playing them at a good time, and we weren't able to make the most of it. They'd really struggled in qualifying. So they, yep. they only won three games in their group and two of those were against Luxembourg. But they, they did a lot of draws and, and they were... Sweden basically let the whole football world down because England drew 0-0 out in Poland where a defeat would have eliminated them and that meant they needed Sweden to beat Poland mm -hmm. in the last game to even qualify for the playoffs. And Sweden did, which is quite frankly embarrassing on their part because <laughs> they'd already qualified, they'd already won the group. It made no difference to Sweden. So just do what's funny would be my argument. Did beat them in the second leg, um, courtesy of an Englishman. And we had chances to equalise. And I remember, I remember Neil McCann going through on the keeper. Did Billy Dodds not have a have an opportunity as well? But yeah, we had our chances in that second half. Daly, I mean, Daly had like Daly could barely have met the the kind of diving header with with any more purpose. But it was. It was just too close to David Seaman. And it was funny watching the two games back. So I've watched both games back for, for this because I, I knew it, it kind of took place in this season. My, my memory was that we, it was kind of eeksy peeksy at, at Hamden and we were probably slightly the better side at, at Wembley. Actually, we were the better side at Hamden as well. 
So even before England went one up, we we had chances as soon as Scholes uh, scored, which was poor defending, probably for Colin Henry. Barry Ferguson seemed to like run back and then stop as well, which probably didn't help matters, but I don't know if he could have got back. But even like 60 seconds later, Gallagher must have sitter. And then 60 seconds after England went two up, I think it was Billy Dodds hit the bar when he might he, he could have done a bit better. And in the second half, it was pretty much all Scotland, uh, albeit we didn't really create. It was half chances rather than rather than really good chances. And like, like I always think when you hear people say, like Colin Henry said afterwards, that uh, like the better team had lost. It's like, well, that, that just feels like you're a sore loser. But I must admit, ultimately over the, the 108 minutes, that he might have had a he might have had a case. I, I, I did I did enjoy after the first like two 0 down. You're going to Wembley. Craig Brown was asked like, well, how like how do you keep this this tie alive? And he said, well. We've got a really good record and uh, scoring in away games, so I, I think we we still have a wee bit of a chance. I look back at the the qualifying campaign. We drew nil nil in Lithuania. We drew nil nil in Estonia, and drew one all in the Faroes. Like Craig, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's entirely true. <laughs> probably got more corners in each of them, though. It's probably what he's referring a, a to. Man that, a moral just victory. A, just a man that just a man that is statistics daft, but honestly, fair play. I'm a lovely, lovely man. Well, we didn't score a goal, but I think you'll find that we had 12 corners to their three. And they just <laughs> come out with shit like that. Doesn't matter, mate. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Aye. <laughs> Aye, uh, uh, Craig Brown. What a legend. What a legend. Is there anything else we want to chuck in here, or should we just should we, should we end on the memory of Craig Brown? What a lovely place to end. See you later on, guys. Podcast Network.